Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part, you'll recognize this podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast, which reminds you that winter safety is paramount, especially during the king tides and heavy rains that characterize this season. King tides result from the gravitational pull of the moon and sun and can cause exceptionally high tides that may flood coastal areas at specific times. To stay safe, it's critical for residents and visitors to be aware of high and low tides and coastal flood warnings. Stay informed, heed warnings, and be prepared for rapidly changing conditions to ensure winter safety on the Oregon coast. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of these seasons. If you're camping, Remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest to talk about our best adventures, from snowshoeing to backpacking to rafting and fishing from the past year. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, welcome to the final episode of 2023. And the good news is that we are going to send this year off with a lot of fun. I'm joined by frequent friend of the podcast, Franziska Weinheimer, to count down our best adventures of the past year. We are going to raft and snowshoe, ski and bike to some of the most beautiful spots around the state. For those who don't remember, Franziska is owner and operator of the website Hike Oregon, a great place to get all your hiking information. She's also the author of a ton of great guidebooks that you can find all over the place now, whether it's online or in stores. REI is very well stocked, at least in my experience. So it's great to have you back on the show. How's it going as we count down to these final days of the year? Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me again. Um, Things are going well. Um, 
I always love this time of year because it means like coming up with new goals to achieve for the upcoming year for hiking and backpacking. But also winter time for me means getting to work on like a lot of writing projects and website projects, which is always really fun. Um, but honestly, so far this winter has been really awesome because it's mild and little to no snow, which I love. And so I've been really loving to get um, in some of those more like mid elevation hikes that I don't normally do or like the window for those are pretty small because, you know, in the summer I like to explore the really high peaks and the, the cascades in the winter. I usually do a lot of like snowshoeing or lower elevation coast hikes. So like the mid elevation doesn't get explored a lot. So I've been really loving that about this winter. So, far. okay. Well, I got to say like that sounds borderline sacrilegious. And I think we've had this dispute before um, where, where you're just yep. like, Oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happier with less snow. And that's just yes. a terrible take. And I'm not sure we can continue with this podcast because I'm like, because I'm like sitting here like dying because of the of the lack of snow up there. Like me and my kids, that's that's most that's what are. we do is we ski at Hoodoo and Willamette, and with this garbage snow year, right. like we can't do it. And like right. our choices are like just do nothing, which is kind of what we've been doing, um, or pay like you know sell body parts to afford Bachelor or Mount Hood Meadows, right. uh, which. Can't really do. So anyway, your take about. And also so much further away oh, yeah. too. So it's like now it's a whole weekend versus hoodoo is like so close to you. I know. Yeah. So it kills me and <laughs> we're not going to talk about this anymore because hey, we might get. Yep. No, what? We still have so much winter coming okay. though. You, we don't know. We don't know what's okay. coming. Okay. All right. All right. I just, I just need to, w- <laughs> to wait and see, but that's okay. Cause... Well, I have some, I have some snowshoe things All right. listed in here. <laughs> um, well, you know, that's that aside, what, what stuck out to you about this past year? This is, this is a look back podcast. We're looking back at, you know, the best trips yeah. we went on. Um, so what kind of defined it for you? Well, honestly, this past year was a little rough um, for me because it's the first time in my life really that I've had to deal with some like health challenges, Mm. which really put a damper on a lot of the trips that I had planned. I had, you know, large PCT section hikes and I had tons of car camping trips planned and a lot of those things got kind of shuffled around or just didn't happen. Um, But I think this also gave me like a new appreciation for the trips that I did get to go on. And it gave me a new appreciation also for my body and like all of the grueling miles and backpacking trips that I've put it through over the past Mm. 10 years. So yeah, I I like to look at it that way. Um, I also got a puppy in the fall. So that gave me a whole (laughs) new level of excitement for certain like shorter, easier trails that I normally wouldn't like seek out to do just by myself. So that's been really fun. How have you liked uh, hiking with a dog? It's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just put it that way. Um, It takes some getting used to because I've, you know, not hiked with a dog ever, except for my friend's dogs. And at that point, I'm not responsible for them. So um, it's, it definitely takes some getting used to like trying to take pictures while I'm holding the leash <laughs> and she just wants to go run after a squirrel and I'm trying to take a video or a picture and 
it yeah it's quite difficult oh my gosh that's that kills me so i have a anatolian shepherd which if you don't know the breed they're a giant breed of dog he's like 120 pounds and he's huge and i bring him on i bring him on some backpacking trips because he can actually he's almost like a small horse he'll carry my beer for me and stuff um along with his but he has he does the same thing he does not understand the concept of stopping for pictures but i feel like we came to an agreement where it's like, I don't understand why he needs to stop and pee on everything. He doesn't understand right. why I need to stop and take pictures. And we're just like, you know, we, we don't get this about each other, but we're going to make it work. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So I guess the thing that stuck out for me this past year was um, it was a great recreation year, like about as good as we can mm -hmm. hope for. Like as somebody who's covered outdoor news now for like 15 years and seen all kinds of crazy climatological years that are all over the place just having such good snow last year you know for mm -hmm. skiing for snowshoeing and it lasted way into the spring which for me was great maybe not you but for me i loved it i kept the, i you know i'll take that snow as much as i can take it so just I, this is actually the best snowpack since 2008 i believe um and so it was it was good and that was the thing that stuck out to me but then it like great snow pretty good summer too like it was smoky at times mm -hmm. but it wasn't like in a it wasn't terrible we didn't have any massive disaster fires and then mm -hmm. a nice fall like it, it rained early it was a nice so i'll take that as a recreation season and um you know at a time when you know it's just a, the climate's just a yo-yo it's all over the place it was just nice to have a pretty good year like that like i was happy with it yeah yeah i was really happy about not having any giant wildfires um in the summer yeah. but i did actually just buy a pair of snowshoes in november <laughs> which is funny that like the one year i bought snowshoes or new snowshoes um is like the year i probably won't get to try them no out. you told I'm like oh man you told me to be that there was a lot of winter left to not to not get too down so i'm gonna give you the same advice because now you've apparently come around on snow and want snow yeah well and honestly usually january and february is when we tend to get the most snow. Yeah. so i mean it's still happening i know it's just when it doesn't show up for christmas break <laughs> It's the right. Worst. It's right. like it's a little. It's scary. like a terrible version when you have kids. It's like a terrible version of summer break. Like it's like summer break, and then they're <laughs> home all the time and need to be entertained. But right. you don't have nearly the tools to entertain them. We can't like go swimming in the creek. Like I guess we can go hiking and do stuff, right. but we they want to go skiing. We got friggin' skis. So right. Anyway, I'm gonna stop. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop <laughs> complaining about that. I think I've complained about it for like three straight podcasts, and I need to. I need to temper it back. <laughs> so let's let, let's get rolling on this. All right, we're not gonna belabor the point too much here. So the, uh, you know, we're we're gonna talk about. Uh, the coolest places that we traveled this past year. And the goal is always is to highlight the best outdoor adventures in Oregon to help you come up with some fun ideas for the new year. We're going to each feature eight places. Uh, so we're going to hit them up a little bit rapidly. A lot of them, like if you go to Hike Oregon, you can get more information. If you go to the statesmanjournal.com, you'll be able to get more information. But we'll give you a decent taste of what we're talking about. So we should have 16 places total. But we can talk about it. So let's jump into it. So you're the guest. Why don't you get us rolling? Cool. So my absolute number one favorite trip of the year was, of course, a backpacking trip because I love backpacking. Um, so I hiked a section of the Pacific Crest Trail from Fish Lake down in southern Oregon up to Highway 138, which is a total of 68 miles. 
and I did it in about four days. Um, and the trail takes you through the Sky Lakes Wilderness and through Crater Lake National Park. Um, this trip wasn't my favorite because of the scenery per se, even though, you know, so much of Southern Oregon is very beautiful and lakes and beautiful forests and such. And of course, this section of the PCT takes you along crate, like the edge of Crater Lake and it's beautiful, but it's not the most scenic um, section of the PCT, I would say. Um, and then the hot conditions in July and the horrendous mosquitoes actually make it a pretty difficult section. <laughs> um, but the reason it was my favorite trip was because of the people and just the overall experience of the trail. Um, if you're interested at all in hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and the whole culture of the trail, but, you know, a lot of people can't logistically hike the entire thing or even do a long section, doing a shorter section like this, especially during peak through hiker season, will get you just fully immersed in that PCT hiking culture. Um, because there's so few water sources in this section, everyone kind of camps near those water sources and the through hikers congregate in large groups. You get to know people from all over the world, which is super cool. And then same goes at Crater Lake National Park. There's actually a PCT specific hiker campground and all the through hikers and section hikers like can be found like lingering and hanging out by the general store and drinking sodas and beer. And just the whole atmosphere is just really, really fun. So that's what made it my number one favorite trip. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm jealous you were able to get out there and, and do one of those extended trips. I've meant to do that for, for the longest time. It doesn't seem to happen. I usually get like, I can get two <laughs> or three days away and I just don't do other stuff. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that sounds great. It's funny you picked that section though, because like when I've talked to PCTers, a lot of times they're like, oh man, that Southern Oregon section just wanted to, to blast through that just because of the mosquitoes. Um, I think so. Were they were they as like notoriously bad as some people make out? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have spent time in in that Southern Oregon Cascade area before um, in July in a different like different years. And I've never had this experience. So maybe I just got lucky the other times I went down to the like, Fish Lake area um, because I never I never saw mosquitoes l literally the size of hummingbirds. Um, <laughs> I, they were horrendous. There was points during the hike where I was, I, I was trail running to try and just get away sure. from them. It was, it was pretty, pretty awful. So yes, they are as bad as the hikers say. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause I mean, I used to, you know, I used to live down in Southern Oregon and the sky lakes was a big part, but my rule was like, don't go to the sky lakes until like, I mean, September, pretty much. Um, and it's so. beautiful in September. October is probably the, the best time to do Sky Lakes. But the one year I went in July, I think maybe I went earlier in July, and I just got lucky. Maybe I went before they all hatched or something. I, had, I saw not a single mosquito, and I was doing Cascade Lakes book research. So I was only doing Cascade Lake hikes, and it's not – not a single mosquito. So I think I just got lucky. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you did. I think as a rule, like that, that I, place. Is, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much anywhere in the Cascades. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a hundred percent true. Well, cool. Well, it's interesting that your, your hike ended at highway 138. Cause that's actually where my first pick is going to take us. And 
actually, I just got back from it. So my thing, I feel like for the longest time, I've been going down to the North Umpqua, um, the North Umpqua Canyon along Highway 138 east of Roseburg. Um, it's a place that I visited early in my reporting career. Um, and I just fell in love with the waterfalls out there. They're, they're really interesting. I've always called it kind of the, the Southern Oregon's answer to the Columbia River Gorge <laughs> because the waterfalls are just right off the highway. It's easy to get there, but it's much quieter. And if you go down in the winter, it's dead quiet. Like there was hardly anybody down there and it was great. So I just went back. I just went there uh, recently and it was my first time being back there since the Archie Creek fire in uh, of 2020 so the archie creek fire was the hottest burning of all the labor day fires it burned over 130,000 acres and a lot of it it burned really hot and so i was curious to see what some of those waterfalls did um and uh so yeah i went down i checked out susan creek falls and fall creek falls which were pretty pretty crispy and you know they i felt different ways about seeing them like at fall creek falls like you could see more things at susan creek falls it was kind of nice to get the sunshine in the winter and then i went up to uh, watson falls and tokety falls which are i don't know for my money might be maybe i think you could make the argument that they are the most beautiful pair of waterfalls in the <laughs> state they're not next to each other but they're close to each other they're really different and it was just great to see them again the reason for the trip though was actually uh, going to Umpqua Hot Springs in the off season because they do an interesting things down there. So Umpqua Hot Springs, probably the best hot springs in the state. Like I keep throwing that around, but like these, like as far as the scenery goes, like there's hot springs, like in these little rock pools, you're overlooking the North Umpqua River surrounded by forest. It's great, but it's also a really weird uh, place during the height of summer. It, it's packed. It's full of very strange naked hippies smoking a lot of weed and probably other stuff too. I mean, you show up there and there's just like graffiti all over the place. It's an interesting place. Um, so I wanted to go there in the winter and what they do is the forest service puts down a gate. And this year they even put gravel in front of the gate because people were unlocking the gates <laughs> when they put it down or like <laughs> breaking it open. Um, and so what you do have to do is it it adds 2.5 miles of hiking or biking to get there. And that obstacle means it's not nearly as much of a gong show as it normally is. And uh, so, yeah, like parked there, we rode our bikes and then hiked the rest of the way, got the hot springs. It was much, much mellower scene. And yeah, I mean, it's still as far as a hot springs experience goes, Umpqua is great. So that combination of stuff, the waterfalls, the hot springs, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I played it, stayed at a place called Umqua's Last Resort, uh, which rents cabins for pretty reasonable rates. And uh, I would definitely recommend. Don't think I've got a whole lot else on there. I think part of this trip might have been inspired by you, actually. I think you went down and you did some before, like, right, you did some before and after shots with Archie Creek Fire, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, actually in, in 2023, so this year, um, I decided to start this little wildfire series on the Hike Oregon Facebook and Instagram pages where I feature pictures of trails that I've gone on before and after wildfires. So I went to this area in the spring and checked out the Archie Creek burn scar. Um, yeah, pretty crispy for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, Susan Creek Falls and, and Fall Creek Falls were pretty like hard to look at, um, unrecognizable in some sense. Like when I did the before and after pictures, I was like, wow, it's just so different. But one of my other favorite hikes from this year was, was actually nearby. 
Um, also, like, it's not right on, like, off of Highway 138 like the others are, but it's still in that area. And it's called Wolf Creek Falls. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. Love yeah. It. Yeah, I hadn't actually ever really heard of this hike. My friend was like, hey, we're in this area. It's nearby. Let's go. I was like, sweet. And it's two and a half miles round trip, super easy. And it's such a sweet little hidden gem. And the entire hike is just lush and green. It feels like you're walking through a fairy tale forest. And then the trail ends at this waterfall, which cascades down like 125 feet in like a tiered horsetail fashion. Absolutely stunning. Just one of the most beautiful waterfalls I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, if you're on the Highway 138 waterfall tour, it's definitely worth the little detour up the, I think it's the Little River Road mm -hmm. um, to yeah. go check it out. Definitely worth it. Well, the Little, little River area even has other stuff as you go. If you, if you keep going on it, it'll bring you up to, it's called Hemlock Lake, which mm -hmm. is kind of a cool spot um, with an interesting trail up there. And there's a couple other little waterfalls off to the side. I have, I've, I've always meant to go and just have never gotten around to it, but you got to go up some gravel roads and navigate a little bit, but there's, there's additional waterfalls up in that uh, little river area. So, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So Wolf Creek was your, we'll, we'll take that as, as your, as your second pick. Yep. That was um, definitely my second. <laughs> so I'll jump into my second one. Uh, the second one I got was a fun one and it was a uh, tree climbing at Silver Falls State Park. And um, yeah, there's a lot more than just climbing the branches in your backyard. This is climbing to the top of almost 300 foot old growth giants. And wow. basically you got to go with an outfitter. Uh, in this case is an outfitter called tree climbing at silver falls. He <laughs> keeps it very literal and straightforward. And uh, the way it goes is like he, the, the guide, you have a guide, he teaches you uh, how to use the harness, um, how to clip to ropes that are already set up in the trees. And you kind of just inch your way up the rope. And that's how you do the climbing. You don't actually like you touch the tree, but you're not climbing on the tree. And uh, yeah, so you do a first tutorial, then you go up to a big tree with the rope set up once you're, once you're ready to go and you just kind of inch your way up to the top. Um, I think we did one that was 250 feet tall or, or thereabouts. And I actually brought some, some teenagers with me and they, they had a good time. They got all the way to the top and it's a surreal feeling like just being in a harness and just, you, you can like lean back away from the tree and you're just like suspended, you know, hundreds of feet above the ground. You can climb into the tree branches way up there. And if you get really ambitious, you can actually camp up there. They just offered that trip this year where people can put up a little tree boat is what they're called. It's kind of like rock climbing equipment and you can spend the nights at the top of, yeah, 300 foot tree oh and get gosh. a sunset. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really something. And it's kind of all part of, I would say this effort to, expand the the offerings at silver falls uh state park that sounds really cool yeah all right what you got for uh number three so my next trip that i want to talk about is when i went car camping in may up to the north coast and i hadn't ever done any exploring up in that area so we decided to car camp at fort stevens state park and then we checked out the super cool Peter Iredale shipwreck remains that are on the beach there. And we happened to go at a time when like a lot of the shipwreck was like visible. It was super cool. We went at sunsets. So the lighting was awesome. Absolutely stunning. And then I really liked Fort Stevens State Park. It had really nice 
campsites and facilities and um there's almost always like herds of elk just lingering and munching on the juicy grass that the state park has and that was really cool because you it's not too often that you see elk really close up and they're like just right there. So that was awesome. Um, and then from there, we went and checked out um, Ecola State Park and hiked to Tillamook Head and saw the lighthouse that sits on the little rock island out there in the ocean. Um, Terrible Tilly. It was so cool. I didn't know it was there <laughs> until we did the hike and I had my like, you know, zoom lens and took some really cool pictures of it. Um, then we also hiked the beautiful Cape Falcon Trail, which is at Oswald West State Park. And just there's just so much to see in that whole North Coast area and like so many trails to hike. I could have easily spent an entire week up there exploring. So I'll definitely have to go back and just. That's funny. Like you've been just about everywhere in the state, but you haven't <laughs> done know. the North Coast of all places. That's no. like the, like when <laughs> people know. in Oregon have like traveled and they're like, oh, I went and did something cool. You're like, oh, you went to the North Coast, huh? So it's, <laughs> it's funny to hear you talk about it. Like it's like a new frontier. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's just, it's far, you know, I'm, I'm in Eugene. So for me, it's kind of far. So like, it has to be an overnight thing. And there's always just been so much that it's kind of overwhelming in that area. So it's like, do I spend a week up there and just check it all out? Or do I just go for the weekend or a couple of days? And I combined it with a, a podcast I was recording in Portland. So that kind of just worked out for me to spend a couple of days in that area. So but yeah, super awesome. Can't wait to go back. All right. Okay. So I'm going to jump into my third one. And uh, this one again was inspired by you. Um, and this was a cross country ski trip, uh, but it could also be a snow trip, snowshoe trip. Um, and it's to Jefferson View Shelter outside of Sisters. Um, this is a trip of like five or six miles round trip. Not too difficult. It begins at Upper Three Creek Snow Park, which is again, a pretty reasonable drive from sisters. Um, I skied a really beautiful uh, route to the three sided snow shelter with, you know, and you reach the snow shelter and the view, Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, it might be the, I've been to a lot of these snow shelters. It's been like a little mini quest of mine to ski into all the different snow shelters <laughs> that are out there. But the view at this one was like next level. And the reason why is kind of funny too. It's called Jefferson view shelter. Because when it was first built, the only view was of Mount Jefferson. And it's cool, but Mount Jefferson's kind of in the distance. <laughs> um, but then the the 2012 Pole Creek fire happened. It burned away all the trees and it opened up this view of the three sisters that are like right in your face. Like mm -hmm. you feel like you can reach out and touch them. Like they're so close. Um, and so, it, yeah, it just it makes for like a pretty easy but really high upside trip and i think the other thing that i loved about it was especially in the winter if there's good snow the snow parks outside of bend on the cascade lakes highway are a madhouse like mm -hmm. it's busy like you can barely find a parking lot upper three creeks there's plenty of parking and it just doesn't get the same use as yeah. those ones outside of bend and so yeah great scenery easy trip huge upside i mean you've been there you inspired me that picture you sent where it's just very snowy, looks like the inside of a snow globe. I saw yeah. that and I was like, whoa, I better go there. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. And since we're talking about snowshoeing, I will mention my favorite snow excursion of the year. 
And okay. that pick, pick number four, pick number four, pick, pick number four, <laughs> Ikenik Snow Park, which is located across the highway from Clear Lake, which most people know. And I always drive past the snow park, like on my way to and from hikes, but I had never been there before. And the window to recreate at this snow park is pretty small since it's on the lower elevation side of snow parks. Um, some of the, you know, most of the other ones are higher elevation. So it doesn't get a lot in some years no no snow <laughs> like i drove past the other day and there's zero snow at ikanik right now so um but last year was perfect there was tons of snow very deep snow and um i snowshoed the prairie view loop which was 3.9 miles and i broke trail the whole time so actually it was felt like 10 miles <laughs> and there was just the most i had no expectations really of you know, this loop or anything really. And there was the most spectacular views of the three sisters, Mount Washington and Three Finger Jack from this loop. It was awesome. And there's tons of other trails and loops and um, things you can do there. Snowshoe, you can um, sled a little bit. It's not super steep terrain. So I don't know how good the sledding would be, but cross country ski, snowshoe. And I think this snow park is kind of underrated. Um, it's only an hour and 15 minutes from Eugene. So yeah, pretty close by. Yeah, it is like underrated is the perfect way to describe <laughs> it. And also super funny side note here. Ikonik is how you pronounce, you know, for the longest time I've been produced, I've been pronouncing it Ikonik. Oh, um, interesting. But, but you're right. I'm 99% sure that you're right about that. I mispronounce things all the time which is terrible when you're going from like print reporting to to audio um because right. i definitely mispronounce stuff but yeah that's a that's a cool one um i have a real soft spot in my heart for that i brought my very very young daughter there and actually snowshoed that loop you're talking about with her mm -hmm. like in a little pouch um, oh in the front um it seems like a thousand years ago but yeah you're right i mean because like it's so unassuming because i people just don't you can't like it's so low in elevation mm -hmm. or yeah it's so low in elevation you just don't people don't do it and so it doesn't like the pictures don't show up and so you know i think way more people stop at uh Sahaley falls to snow oh. to like get in the snow and see the waterfall it's not even close like people right. always skip iconic iconic um <laughs> for Sahaley and kusa like in in, in the winter in the winter so, yeah. i'm glad you got out there I think the high point of that loop was like 3,600 feet. So it, it is yeah. pretty low and most of the time, you know, doesn't, doesn't have great snow. So like I said, the window is pretty short of being able yeah. to do something really awesome there, but that loop is great. Yeah. It's so unassuming too. It's like the smallest little parking lot. I um, never see cars never, there, just, like one or two yeah. cars. Yeah. yeah. Um, and usually like the cars that are parked there are just like checking their phone or like right. turning around or something. Yeah. Like the I like I didn't convince hardly anybody ever goes out there. I didn't so. see a single person. Yeah. Um, all right, so that was your number four pick. Uh I'm gonna jump into mine. My fourth pick was rafting the lower Deschutes River. Because as much time as I've spent on Oregon's rivers over the years, I've never actually floated what's probably the state's at least most popular whitewater river. I just hadn't done it. Um, and so was able to bring my family and we did, uh, it was four days and three nights. Uh, we floated from Buck Hollow, uh, down to the mouth of the Deschutes near the Columbia. And I mean, there's so many good things about rafting the Deschutes. 
uh, in the summer. It's just beautiful. It's hot outside. You spend all your time floating in the river. You get smacked in the face by whitewater. <laughs> there's great camps. There's a million you know, things to love about it. Uh, I was able to join a, a real experienced group of rafters led by my buddy Jared Linkart and his family. And they showed us kind of the best campsites, how to run the rapids, which is important to know. And it's been part of my long-term goal to get, be a strong enough rafter that I can bring my family down and feel comfortable hitting these, you know, good size rapids. And the Deschutes is, is kind of perfect for it. It's perfect for the level that I'm at, which is kind of, I'm past beginner, but I'm certainly not an expert. And so it's kind of a nice, easy to moderate uh, river. Um, you hit some really big rapids. There's one called Colorado. Uh, where there's just a giant wave and it was so high that we actually like plowed through it and went like <laughs> underwater. Um, so that was big highlights. Uh, I did a full podcast with Jared and his two kids uh, where they kind of laid out how to get started, everything you need to know, all the fun legends about the Deschutes and the uh, the train that goes by and scares you half to death in the middle of the night. So yeah, lot to know about the Deschutes. Super famous, but that is my that is my fourth pick. So what you got for uh, number five? So number five is um, one of my favorite trips that I actually do annually, and it's a loop drive from Eugene over to Sisters and Bend, um, and then back around. So I usually stop in Bend at my favorite cafe called the Sparrow Bakery for like a mid-morning snack and a coffee, and then I drive up the Cascade Lakes Highway. Whether you're wanting to like hike, mountain bike, go horseback riding, fishing, or paddle boarding, there is literally something for everyone along the Cascade Lakes Highway, which makes it so great and so fun. And the highway also features um, like some small resorts, tons of campgrounds, and countless trailheads. One of my favorite short day hikes that doesn't require a limited entry permit is Lucky Lake and it's super short, it's like two miles to this gorgeous lake with a view of South Sister, beautiful. And then after cruising along the Cascade Lakes Highway, I head west on Highway 58. Uh, sometimes I stop at Waldo Lake. There's lots of sweet little day hikes there too. Um, I really like the Twins if you want a view or Bobby Lake if you want to swim. There's access to the Pacific Crest Trail here as well. And then just down the highway from Waldo is famous Salt Creek Falls, which is always a must-see. And even though I've been there countless times, it's always worth the stop. Um, and then another great place to stop along this loop if you want to soak in one of Oregon's amazing natural hot springs is McCready Hot Springs. And um, the day-use area is just right there off the highway, super easy. Um, and then finish the weekend by like enjoying some dinner, maybe in Oak Ridge at the Three-Legged Crane Pub and Brew House um, before heading back to Eugene. So you could really just make it like a nice two, three day loop, do some camping, some hiking, some hot springs. You can basically just do it all. It's a really, really awesome loop. Man, you hit a you hit on a lot. Oh, good, good stuff. Just in that, in that one spot. I'm curious. Um, Ooh, I see lucky Lake. I gotta, I gotta remember that one. Cause that sounds like a, a good kid one. Oh, it's and then great. I'm, I, I'm curious about how you do McCready hot springs. Like, do you, like, do you do just off the highway or do you do that like little back way in there to like on the other side of the creek or out on the other side of the river? I've never done that one. I've never gone over, but I do see a lot of people like 
walking and you're like, what are they doing? And then I heard of like the back, like on the other side of the river. Um, so I've hmm. never, I've never gone to that one. Just the main one. I think there's a, I think there's a few more play. Like there's one really big pool over there. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the only place I've, I've, I've ever gone. Um, so there's one pretty big pool and then there's some smaller ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it weirdly, like, I almost feel like that side gets more crowded <laughs> than the other Probably, side. Probably. Um, yeah. Cause people are like, Oh, let's go to the hidden one. Yeah. And it's not hidden. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that was great. Gosh, there's, I gotta, gotta take notes. Um, all right, I'm going to jump into my fifth one, and uh, it's going to include two backpacking trips into the Mount Jefferson wilderness, uh, which were both big highlights of uh, of my summer. I mean, the Jefferson is just up the road from my house, so I do it all the time. I think I've done pretty much all the major places in the Jeff at this point, finally. So the one I wanted to highlight was was a 21-mile backpacking loop that begins and ends near Pamelia Lake. Uh, it's fantastic. It's almost perfect in that it's challenging, but it's not too challenging. You know, along the 21 miles, it does have about 4,000 feet of climb, which, again, it's healthy, but it's not a killer. And, you know, the best part is that the campsites are nicely spaced apart. They're, you have a stunning lake pretty much every night. Um, and, yeah, you know, wonderful days of hiking in the shade because it's not in a wildfire area, which is kind of rare in the Jefferson. There's only yeah. a few parts of it that haven't burned at all. And so it's just nice to be in the shade for the steep climbs because um, you're not you know, getting blasted by the sun. And then, you know, there's Alpine lakes at the two campsites. So yeah, I did in three days, two nights, and um, does require the Central Cascades permit for Pamelia Lake, which, you know, can be hard to get on a weekend, but midweek is pretty doable. Um, So I I was lucky enough to be able to go midweek. Um, The loop starts at uh, Pamelia Lake. Then you got a pretty a long day into Hunts Cove uh, for that first night. Hunts Cove is great. It has two beautiful lakes. I definitely preferred Hunts Lake over Hanks Lake. It's chilly for swimming, but it does have some small trout for fishing. Uh, so did some of that. Second day is the most scenic. You, there's a steep but really scenic hike up to the Pacific Crest Trail um, that brings you to uh, Shale or Coyote Lake. They're kind of right next to each other. And like you were talking about how the PCTers all can, tend to congregate around water. Uh, that was definitely true at Shale and Coyote Lake. I got there early. I got to Shale Lake early and got like, there's only like really two campsites there and I got one of them. Man, Shale Lake is just Stunning. about as good as it yeah. gets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mount Jefferson is right over the top. The water is like perfect for swimming. Yeah, it was that was a that was a pretty good day. I felt good about getting there early, uh, too, before everybody else. I was just read my book, hung out. It was most excellent. Yeah. And then the you know, you finish up with just kind of a long, gradual downhill hike. So again, 21 miles, it's a fantastic loop. I it's it's a pretty famous loop, so I'm not breaking any news uh with this one, but it just it it fits together really nice. And the second one I'm gonna talk about just real quick, um, backpacked into Duffy Lake, which is, you know, one of the more most popular lakes in the Jefferson, and uh did a pretty 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 fun climb of Duffy Butte. Um, if you've ever been to Duffy Lake and you see Duffy Butte, kind of like the rocks up there, I was just like, ah, oh, I wonder if I could climb that. And I just kind of bushwhacked through this, this burned over forest and the top was fun. It didn't, I got to the top and it didn't require any, any ropes or anything. It was, it was definitely an impromptu kind of scramble, uh, but Duffy, Duffy Butte's doable as far as a climb. And then, uh, did another climb up, uh, Red Butte, which is just up the road by Mowich Lake. And so that area, like when I wrote the story about Duffy Lake, I kind of talk, called it the Grand Central Station. 
of the Jefferson, just because there's so many places you can explore. You can go down to Sanium Lake and go to Mowich Lake. There's just a lot to do. Um, but again, permits required. So let's see. At number five, okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to have another three trips, some out, awesome outdoor adventures. So stay with us. Tiffany Roddy with Roseburg Forest Products. As a professional forester, I was drawn to Oregon by the trees and the vastness of Oregon's majestic outdoors. I'm proud to work for a family-owned, fully integrated wood products company with a deep commitment to our industry and our communities. Roseburg's sustainably managed timberlands are open for recreation and provide natural wood products that help make people's lives better from the ground up. We are proud members of AFRC, sponsor of the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Tillamook Coast welcomes you for local coastal adventures. And while we invite you to explore the natural beauty of Oregon's coast during the winter season, we also advise you to be aware of winter weather and plan for it. You may picture yourself hiking through lush forests, beachcombing along rocky shores, or discovering tide pools teeming with life. Yes, the Tillamook Coast offers a unique playground for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers alike. But nature's power is undeniable, especially during king tides and heavy rains. Stay safe by checking tide schedules and monitoring coastal flood warnings. Okay, welcome back. All right, well, let's keep it going. Where are you taking us with your sixth pick? So it's funny, actually, that you talked about the loop from Pamelia up to Shale and then over to Hunts Cove, uh, because that is a loop that I did as a day hike this year. Um, and it definitely, definitely ended up on my top hikes of 2023. Well, you, you, you did the 21-mile hike in a day? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's fine. Was, it only took me three days, but that's that's fine. I was training for my PCT section hike where I was, I think my biggest mileage day on that was like over 25. So I wanted to make sure I could, you know, at least do some of that mileage. I don't know. That's where I got bursitis. So that was not good. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, my, my health issues started and kind of ended my summer um after that big loop and then right after that i did that big southern oregon pct section the 68 miles and then my feet were done <laughs> <laughs> so um but since you already talked about that epic loop i will share another one of my favorite trips that is also 
a little bit of a hack for easily getting into the Jefferson Wilderness for an overnight trip. So as we know, getting a Central Cascades Wilderness Permit for overnight trips for popular trailheads like Pamelia, Duffy, and Marion are quite difficult to get your hands on during the summer, especially on weekends. Um, but if you want to get into the beautiful Jefferson Wilderness, you can easily do so from the east side which will be much, much less difficult to get the permits. So one of my favorite backpacking trips this year was starting at Bear Valley Trailhead, which is like not something people have heard of. They're like, where is that? And it goes up to the PCT. And from here, you can you know either head north or south. I headed north. And the whole time, there was just one stunning view after the next of Mount Jefferson, just right there in your face. So beautiful. So many just scenic camp spots where you just set up your tent and the view of Jeff is just right there. In amazing. And I actually hiked to uh, the Hunts Cove Junction at the PCT. Mm. So right where that loop. Yeah. Um so heading down to Shale Lake or Hunts Lake from there, it's not much further. Um, so you could easily make this a one, two, or three night trip. Um, my trip, it, I just went to that junction and then back and um, it was 24 miles. And the whole time I only saw four people. Like even though I was on the PCT, I feel like that area of the Jefferson Wilderness um, isn't as... I don't know. It's just not as traveled. Obviously, once you get to the like more popular lakes, um, it does get more busy. But if you stay mainly on the PCT there and, you know, camp at those campsites with the epic views, you probably won't have any other people in your camp, which was, yeah, it was a pretty special trip. Is it just because are you thinking because it's like the east side of the Jefferson just gets there's less people looking for permits? It's I a little like, so, like you, yeah, it's yeah. hard. Like it's more time consuming to get to the trailheads. I think you know you have to go mm -hmm. on those like gravel roads, and I mean they're they're well maintained gravel roads. They're not bad. And then actually the Bear Valley Trail up to the PCT, I saw trail crews working on the trail when I hiked it. So that trail has been completely like all of the down trees have been cut. It's really nicely maintained at this point. But yeah, I like every because I wasn't really sure when I was going to do that hike. And um, so I kept looking at permits. And every time I looked, the permits were available, like there weren't, mm -hmm. it was never like, oh, zero permits. And um, yeah, they were always available. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I'd, I'd, like it hadn't even really occurred to me to think of Bear Valley Trailhead. Um, it's just not one of those ones that it instantly pops to mind, like you're saying with Pamelia right. and, and Duffy and all in, in those ones where right. like, everybody's trying to get them. So it's it's it just follows, though, like with this permit system, if you just get a little bit creative mm -hmm. um, and pick, like you know, you can do you can have the same kind of experience and maybe even a better one. Right. Um, where you just but you just pick start the less, at a different spot. Map. Yep yeah exactly and it's usually like it's not even a huge difference um so okay well i'm gonna get to number six um and uh, this one is a unique bike trip 
that I didn't even actually write about uh, because like a week after I did it, part of the trail was closed by the lookout fire uh, up in the McKenzie area. But it was a really unique, interesting trip, definitely worth doing. And it was mountain biking the Santium Wagon Road. So some of you will know that the Santium Wagon Road was the original wagon route uh, that connected the Willamette Valley to central Oregon over the Cascades. It was eventually replaced by highways and the stuff we got now, but the, that old road has gradually been repurposed into a great recreational trail, uh, especially with some beautiful sections along the South Sanium River um, out east of Sweet Home. So the bike ride offers what I'd call a moderately difficult but extremely scenic mountain bike ride. It's just, it's not, it's different than most mountain biking trips that you think of. Um, the entire thing the entire like wagon road is pretty long, but you, you can kind of do it in segments. And the segment that I did was starting at Tombstone Pass, which is, you know, a big high point, and then rode downhill to eventually le- uh, reach a clear lake. Um, you're following like old gravel roads, a lot of the route downhill. So it's, it's, it's fairly bumpy, but it's just really scenic. Tombstone Pass is beautiful in the old Cascades there. You touch the highway briefly at a, at a campsite, and then you kind of just charge through this really cool old growth forest uh, before it spits you out at Fish Lake Guard Station. What you get is this great historic spot that people often miss, even though it's in this really high use area. There was like a really nice Forest Service couple there who were just wanted to talk to people about the history of the Fish Lake Guard Station <laughs> and everything that uh, it, it's meant because it was a stopping place uh, for you know pioneer travelers. You can stop there. And like you could park a car there and make that the shuttle ride, but it's a lot more fun to ride the, the especially if you like mountain biking, is to ride the rest of the Mackenzie River Trail uh, to Clear Lake, and then you can stop there for some ice cream, maybe a swim. And so you take the Sanium Wagon Road, take it down, 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 hit the Mackenzie, take that to Clear Lake. It's a really cool, unique back, or it's a really cool, unique mountain biking route. It's not really a beginner route though. I actually brought my daughter and a troop of kids. <laughs> with the idea that it was going to be kind of an easy mountain bike. It really wasn't and turned into sort of a misadventure. My daughter wasn't quite up for it. And honestly, I didn't have a good enough bike for her to do it. And that's just all on me. Um, so she stopped at the halfway point and just hung out. I rode the rest of it and came back for it. It wasn't a big deal. But I would say that you could underestimate how rough it is and how challenging it is. Like you want to be a fairly strong biker with some real single track experience to do this one. Although those people will probably find it easy if that makes uh, sense at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was my, that was my number six. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. The Sandium wagon road for hiking, for biking. It's, it's just interesting. Have you ever been out on it much? Yeah. I've hiked sections of it. I never even thought to, to mountain bike, but yeah, I could see how it'd be like you could do a larger section much quicker. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely true, but it's it's just it's just rough. It's not like really maintained as a right. bike route. Like you can no, it's do definitely it, but not, it's not yeah. like yeah, it's not intended for that. And so it's uh, there's yeah, there's hit and miss parts yeah. of it. I'll just I'll just say it like that. It's an adventure. Very cool. Well, we are on number seven. So in October, I took a trip over to the Prineville area. And this had been kind of a rescheduled trip from June, and it worked out so nicely for the fall because there's actually a ton of large trees in this area. So it looked like the whole forest was glowing with these yellow needled trees. Absolutely stunning. Um, I think 
Prineville frequently gets overlooked for trips, but there's actually a lot of awesome new up-and-coming restaurants, brew pubs, as well as like new coffee shops. And the surrounding area just has so much hiking, uh, lots of snowshoe and snowmobile trails as well. And then, of course, lots of mountain bike trails. Um, So one of the days we hiked up to Round Mountain, which was actually kind of a grueling hike, 9.8 miles, lots of elevation gain. But from the top, we could see the Cascade Mountains and then just a sea of golden larches down below. And uh, then we car camped, and the next day we hiked to Twin Pillars, which was easily, easily one of my top three hikes of the year. Um, An easy six-mile round-trip hike in the Mill Creek Wilderness, which I had actually never been to, and uh, takes you to, or takes you through endless groves of large trees, which just were yellow and just beautiful. I mean, magical experience. And then um, Twin Pillars is just a really cool rock formation um, that you don't really see because you're kind of like pop out from the large forest and then all of a sudden you see this like big massive rock formation. And the trail actually keeps going downhill and follows a creek for a while. That uh, was just too long of a a day hike for us. So we just kind of went to Twin Pillars, ate lunch and headed back. So it made it a really easy six mile round trip hike and absolutely stunning. I highly recommend that for October. Yeah, wait, I'm curious, um, what time of year do, the, do those do those large trees like really start to blow up? So it depends on the elevation, but I would say so we were there like end of October and I would say half of them were already just like losing needles. So there's a lot of like yellow needles on the forest floor already. So I would say like prime, prime, probably mid-October. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. And that's in the Ochico Mountains, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't been out there nearly enough. It's another one of those places I've meant to go, um, but but haven't quite made it. Yeah. And I, I feel like Prineville is like all the spillover from like the bend growth um, mm-hmm. is, is making Prineville kind of a, a cool place and sort of transforming it from kind of a dusty old, old town into, yep. you know, kind of a revitalized place. I hear about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to jump into my seventh pick here and it's going to be the old growth forest of the salmon river trail area. And uh, this one is up between Portland and Mount hood. Uh, it's an area I typically avoid. Uh, just because of those Portland crowds. Uh, but I went there in the dead of winter and it was really cool. There were three places that I hiked. It was the uh, Wildwood Recreation Site, uh, which is a more developed um, it's a BLM site, but it's got this cool underwater viewing area where you can look at the bottom of a creek through this like glass window. There's like fish spawning down there sometimes, apparently. And so that's a, a reason to go there. And then uh, the beautiful old growth along the old Salmon River Trail. And then just the normal Salmon River Trail uh, that goes into the wilderness area. Uh, This one was a little bittersweet, honestly, um, exploring this area because it reminded me so much of the Opal Creek area with that, you know, which is a spot that I've spent a lot of time in. And it has that, you know, that old growth Cascadian forest, those giant Western red cedars, the giant Douglas firs. And of course, Opal Creek was was roasted uh, by the Beachy Creek fire. So it's not really like that anymore. And uh, so going to the Salmon River old growth kind of reminded me of it. 
and yeah, would, had me in my in my feelings a little bit, as the kids like to say. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went there in the winter. It's open year round, which is kind of nice. It's low elevation enough, but it still feels like you're in the mountains. Um, and yeah, I actually think of the three. My favorite was the old Salmon River Trail. I just had the biggest trees, like just universally. And um, I came across a fun reason for why it's called the old Salmon River Trail. It was just the Forest Service lost this trail. They forgot about it um, <laughs> in, in the development. And then like a couple uh, of who did a guidebook hiking in the 70s, like rediscovered it and helped put it on the map. And that's why it's the old Salmon River Trail and not the new one. Well, what you got for number eight? <laughs> so number eight, last but not least for me is uh, I wanted to mention another snow park because I think this one doesn't get talked about much. Um, and that is Saniam snow park. And I know a lot of people go there for sledding, but it doesn't get a lot of attention in regards to snowshoeing or cross country skiing, at least not that I have heard. Um, and that's probably because there are no groomed trails here. There's no, you know, little diamond markers or anything. It's just kind of a pick your own route place. And um, which in this area is easy because the B&B fire that happened in 2003 made it so that, you know, the trees are sparse. The new growth trees are still small. So you can easily see the terrain and just your surroundings. So I've been here twice now and once I just did a little short excursion to a ridge line where there was an epic view of Three Fingered Jack just right up close and then Mount Washington and the Three Sisters to the south. And then the second time I picked a spot that I had gone to um, in the summer and that was Craig Lake and I wanted to see it in the winter. So it was really fun to navigate you know, this winter scenery, cross country, and just kind of stop every once in a while, look at the GPS, see where you're, where you are at and where you have to go. And then you're like, okay, well, I got to go over this little rise and then we'll be up there and then we'll check the GPS again. So that was really kind of a fun experience. And then of course, to see that same lake in the winter time with Three Finger Jack just right there across the lake was super awesome. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great one. And you know, in regards to like it's known like for pretty adventurous cross country skiers. Like those okay. those who want who 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 like who are into it and who want the wilderness experience, mm -hmm. you know, because you cross into the Mount Jefferson wilderness. You know, like so I do know like guys that or you know folks that that do that in the winter. But yeah, like you were saying it's not in the same way, like Ray Benson is right. Really it's right across the cross road. Country. Yeah, exactly. right across the road. Yep. It's a lot more traffic, you know, and there's just a lot more people there. Uh, just because yep. this is just a wilderness experience. And totally. uh, yeah, Craig Lake, Craig Lake sounds great. Um, people also ski to Santium Lake uh, sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a 10 mile trip, but Oof. it's, it's, do, it's doable. And uh, uh, I've, it's funny. I've like, I've had a like, I've meant to go like twice uh, with this group, uh, the Willamette Nordic Club, and it just hasn't it like it just hasn't worked out both times. It, it's been like snowing or like, you know, some weather made mm -hmm. it not happen. Um, so I meant to do it. But um, yeah, you're, you're right on in, in how you describe that. Like, it's just I mean, man, three finger jacked right in front of your face. I went sledding there all the time. I'm one of those people who's like and you see 
occasionally like it's it's full of like kids screaming right. and, like people want launching like <laughs> tubes off the berm and stuff like that it's kind of a wild snow park honestly. right right like, i mean with the crazy people like trying to find parking and can't find parking and just it's kind of a zoo um, yeah. and then you see the people like going through the zoo and like going out to get the more peaceful experience out on the on yeah, the trail it's so. pretty awesome yeah yeah all right, yeah, we're down to number eight. My my final pick here, I'm going to go with uh, sandboarding, uh, the Oregon Coast Dunes. Um, this is another family trip, become an annual tradition. We head out to camp at Honeyman State Park outside of Florence. And uh, yeah, once we do that, we go to Sandmaster Park and store there, and you can rent uh, these really cool boards that are made for sliding down the sand. Um, sandboarding is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you hike up a dune and then you ride back down. Uh, the boards have bindings. You know, you can put your feet in. It looks like a kind of a mini snowboard. Um, but it's made specifically for the sand. And uh, we normally ride the little dune at Sandmaster Park, where right where you rent the boards. Uh, then we head to the big dunes at uh, Honeyman State Park. It's a lot of fun for kids. You can fall down. You don't get hurt too badly. It's it's a challenge. You can get some speed going. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a great day to spend with the kids especially if you go to the honeyman dunes and there's the lake uh, clear walks lake or <laughs> i probably mispronounced that but however you pronounce it the lake is there it stays remarkably warm even into the fall so it's a great place to like work up a sweat and uh you know going up and down the dunes riding back down and then go for a swim uh i did a full podcast with a guy who's actually the godfather of sandboarding in oregon he actually created the sandboards um you know, back in the seventies and eighties. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's the godfather of sandboarding. He's called Dr. Dune is his name. And so <laughs> I had a, I had a full podcast with him. It's a really good one. It's one of my favorite podcasts. So worth a listen. We made it. Those are our 16 picks. That was, that was a lot, but even, even still, I, I have to quickly mention a couple honorable mentions just because it's, you know, uh, I'm not the only one who does this. So I'm going to mention a couple pieces that are a, interns and our freelancers wrote. Uh, so a great one, one of my favorites was fly fishing at Crater Lake. Uh, it was a great piece from John Waller. Uh, he talks about how you fly fish at Crater Lake. He took the boat out and actually fly fished off uh, Wizard Island, caught a bunch of fish. He talked about why the fish were introduced in the first place, you know, that they're actually getting fatter recently and <laughs> they actually encourage you to, uh, you don't need a license and they encourage you to actually keep the trout because they're considered invasive there. So that was a cool story. Clear bottom kayaks at Wallawa Lake. We had our most re our most recent intern, Olivia Stevens, headed out to the Wallawa Mountains, did a podcast about these clear bottom kayaks that are very popular, that they do night tours. Um, so you can listen or read about that. And then uh, Crooked River Fly Fishing, our intern, Charlie Gearing, did a great podcast about why the Crooked River is so great uh, for fly fishing in Central Oregon. It really made me want to pick up the fly rod and go out there immediately. Uh, there's a lot of fish to catch. And then uh, last one, our our intern, Abigail, Abigail Landweir, uh, she headed out and uh, went to the Bohemia Mining Days in Cottage Grove and did a fun kind of event story. Also went camping, swimming and hiking in the area. It's not an area that I've been. Um, so that was that was a cool story. And so that was what some of our freelancers and some interns were up to. They did a lot more, too. Um, OK, that's all I've got. Do you have any honorable mentions you want to toss in there? Well, you know, I can talk about epic Oregon destinations all day long. So um, I think I'm just going to keep it at my eight picks for today. 
<laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for joining me on this. Why don't you plug your website, your books, all the good stuff you want us to know about real quick. Just hit it all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for having me. Um, you can check out my website, hikeoregon.net, and that's where you'll find tons of information about hiking and backpacking in this amazing state of Oregon. And like I mentioned earlier, check out the Hike Oregon Facebook page and Instagram, hike.oregon, to follow along on my recent hiking adventures and the before and after wildfire series that I've been doing. Yeah, no, it's you should definitely check it out. I mean, I've been an outdoor reporter in Oregon for like 15 years now, and I follow along with your stuff. And you give me great ideas for story. I steal <laughs> your story ideas, like not on a regular basis, but on a not uh, irregular basis. So, um, yeah, it's legit. Lots of really cool stuff, interesting ideas and stuff like that. So cool. Great talking to you again. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.